0: You are listening to Haftara, the Sheer series where we explore the connections between the Parsha Shavuah and its corresponding Haftara. And here at the Database with Rabbi Yeshua Eisenberg, this week's Parsha is Parsha's Baha'aloscha, and the Haftarah comes to us from Sefer Zechariah. And as we are going to see shortly, this is a very strange choice of a Haftara. Not necessarily based on its connection to the Parsha, which we are going to see also that there is a connection. However, I will also argue that perhaps there are better options. But what's particularly strange about this haftarah is that it is a repeat. It is the first repeat of the year. There are only a couple of haftarahs that actually get repeated in the middle of the year. One of them, which we mentioned, um, is repeated because it's slain during the week of Pesach. Um, the Shvi'i Shal Pesach is a haftarah from Sefer Shmuel, and it's the Song of David HaMelech. And as we mentioned then, that, that haftarah is repeated for Shiras Hazinu. And There is another haftarah, the haftarah for Parshas Noach, which we're going to see in parts is going to be repeated um, in the middle of Sefer Devarim. We'll find it, I believe, in Re'eh and Kiseitse, two different uh, um, parshios in Devarim, that get two pieces of the haftarah from Noach. Of course, we'll talk about that more when we get to those haftarahs. But this particular haftarah from Zechariah is a repeat from Shabbos Chanukah. And of course, the obvious connection is that the beginning of our Parsha talks about the menorah, and we know that the Hanukkiah, or the menorah, is the icon of Hanukkah. Thus, every Shabbos Hanukkah, the Haftarah, from Zechariah is read, usually it coincides with Miketz, in fact, almost always it coincides with Parsha's Miketz. However, a couple of years ago, um, we had a very rare occasion where the actual Haftarah for Miketz was read, because Shabbos Chanukah, I believe... Um, fell out the week before, which was Parshas Vayeshev. If it wasn't then, it would have been Vayigash, but I think it only can be Vay- Vayeshev or Miketz. And in fact, the only two times that we ever read the Haftarah from Zechariah are the weeks of Baha'u'llah and Shabbos Hanukkah. So this is one of those Haftarahs that is read twice every single year, leading us to the obvious question of why we would resort, why we would settle for a repeat we will talk about that and raise some more questions as well. Um, after I dedicate the shir, have an So let's take a look at our haftarah for just a second. So the haftarah once again comes from Sefer Zachariah, which is one of the treasars. He's actually one of the longer of the treasars, but the haftarah goes from Parak Bez, pasuk Yedalid, so two fourteen, and it goes all the way to Dalid Zion to four seven. So as as mentioned, Parshas Bahalosha shares its haftarah with none other than Shabbos Chanukah, and of course that is because both occasions find their haftarah in the passage of Zechariah describing his vision of the menorah. Now, this haftarah is a convenient one for both days, as the menorah, on the one hand, is the it's the mitzvah; it's, it's again it's the symbol of Chanukah; it's the basis for the modern Chanukiah that we have light today. And on the other hand, it's featured in the opening passage in Behaloscha as the Torah commands. Aaron and any Kohen and at that, many um, Kohen Gadol, to kindle the lights, the lamps of the menorah in the Beis Migdash and the Mishkan. However, a question that can be asked for both Baha'u'llah and Chanukah is if this Haftar truly captures the essence of either the Sidra or the holiday. Perhaps you can argue that for Hanukkah's purposes, the holiday really does, in many ways, revolve around the menorah and the miracle of the oil, so that a haftarah about the menorah would make plenty of sense. And that's not to say that there are no other important themes of Hanukkah. However, this mere reference to a menorah in Zechariah's prophecy really seems like just that, a mere reference to a menorah. Beyond the plain imagery, does the haftarah at large really capture the theme of Hanukkah? So we spoke a little bit more about that Um, on Shabbos Chanukah, um, or at least in the half Torah shir for Shabbos Chanukah, which you can listen to back in the archives. In fact, I think I will even leave the link to that particular shir in the description of this one. But as far as Baha'aloscha is concerned, the question, I believe, is far greater. Because Baha'aloscha, although in the name, of course, it's referencing the menorah when it talks about Baha'aloscha, when you elevate or when you set up the, the lights of the menorah, when you set them up in an upward fashion, right? Baha'aloscha, the shoresh is ayin lamed to go up, and when you kindle a light, you go upwards, or it's referencing Aaron going up the steps of the menorah. But the point is, even though it's in the title of the Parsha, it's really only in the first opening passage of the, the Haftarah. Baha'aloscha itself hardly has anything to do with the menorah if you look at the Parsha at large. The menorah appears in a particularly brief, a few psokim at the beginning of a very long sidra that contains many stimulating and exciting topics and th- stories with many crucial lessons to be learned. It discusses Pesach Sheni, Yisra's request to go home, the drama revolving uh, Moshe Rabbeinu and the complaints of the Bnei Israel, Miriam's Lashon Hara, her slander against Moshe, and so much more. So that being the case, doesn't the choice to reread the Chanukah haftarah? which shares one passing detail with our Sidra, seem like somewhat of a cop-out chas v'shalom. And lest you accuse me of being just a complainer like the Masonic in our Parsha without offering any solutions, I would argue maybe we could come up with some alternative choices, Um, especially considering the fact that only Rishon discusses the menorah of our Parsha, right? Only Rishon. But usually the haftarah follows the maftir. So if you want to think of maybe other um, possibilities of, of a haftarah, maybe we could talk about the later day Pesach um, Shani, um sort of haftarah, um, besides, um Besides for... Um, the Haftaras that were read throughout Pesach, but there are other Pesach-themed Haftaras. For example, many passages in Yehoshua that do not make it into the Haftara have echoes of Pesach. The story of Gidon in Sefer Shoftim has a lot of connections to Pesach. So if we wanted to throw in a little bit of, you know, later day Pesach options to fit the Pesach Sheni theme, we could have done that. If you want to talk about the Vayihib and Soha Aron, the significance of the travels of the Aron and the impact of the Aron, so Sefer Shmuel Aleph, from Prakim Dalad through Zion, talk all about the impact of the Aram when the Aram got captured. There are many exciting stories that could have been used as a Haftara, and perhaps, if you leave me more time, I could come up with many more options of Haftaras that would connect to other parts of the Parsha, which, again, brings us back to the question of why we decided to go with a repeat Parsha about something that, uh, or I should say repeat Haftara, about something that seemingly has little to do with the Parsha at large. Now, these are the questions. So, in terms of this haftarah's connection to Hanukkah, if all of if all there was um, the, of what was was the image of the, of the menorah itself, the haftarah would have been much shorter, right? Because even in Zechariah's vision, the menorah makes up only a few psukim. The vision is so much greater, and there's so much more there that we, we read from the navi from Zechariah uh, before the menorah appears in Zechariah's vision late in this haftarah in uh, in so we've already read a couple of earlier, and the Haftar focuses on another vision, in which Zacharias sees what looks like a court case in which the defendant is Yehoshua Kohen Gadol, who is being prosecuted by the Satan. Maybe you might say that Yehoshua, in a certain sense, is the stand-in for Arna Cohen, who is the Kohen Gadol in our Parsha, and and then we see a a later day, um, I guess a later day occurrence with another Kohen Gadol uh, involving the vision of the menorah. So maybe that, that can be basis for another connection. But still, there, there's a lot that's missing here. Let's talk about what is there. In this court case, the angel of Hashem tries to denounce the Satan and advocate for Yehoshua, but the navi tells us that he is wearing filthy garments, which Chazal interpret as the the stain of his family legacy as his children had intermarried with Gentile women. Whatever the filthy garments represent, anyone who comes to court not dressed appropriately is obviously not setting the right tone for a winning court case, and yet the angel has Yehoshua's garments removed and replaced with new ones, and then he warns Yehoshua to commit to following Hashem's ways. So it is after this strange trial that Zechariah dreams of the menorah. But the question is, why did the trial of Yehoshua Kohen Gadol make it into this haftarah? What does it have to do with anything? And this is something that we began answering in the Chanukah Haftarah year. Right? We could we could argue that it could be that Chanukah's deeper theme can be found in this particular court case. That the court case was not just about Yehoshua kohen Gadol, but it's about the entirety of the Bnei Israel. The proof being that the angel advocated for Yehoshua describing Hashem as the Bocher Yerushalayim, the chooser of Yerushalayim. Thus, the core case fundamentally represents the absolute patience of Hashem in a time of darkness, when the Bnei Israel really didn't deserve that patience. From a, I forgot to mention that we're being visited by my second son, Yona. Thank you for making your voice heard. Um, but again, the from, from a perspective of justice, it seems really absurd because Yehoshua Kohen one of the primary leaders of the Bnei Israel at the time, who apparently had intermarried. And or at least had intermarried children. And he's standing there in what the Navi describes as the begodim tzawim, the filthy, excrement-covered garments. And he's reassured that everything will be okay. Right, he comes to the courtroom apparently guilty, and all it takes is a change of clothes and a warning, of course. He gets off with a warning to behave, and then he is off the hook. Now, in a normal court case, that would never work. However, even the otherwise reasonably guilty can find grace in Hashem's court, which exists beyond the letter of the law. Right? It's a supernatural judgment And hope um, can be found in a place of despair The menorah alone is just a, a candelabrum But with this backdrop represents this very hope Which we're describing A light in the place of darkness It is the undeserved grace of Hashem Thus Tavtor closes with the assurance of chain, chain law Grace, grace will be for her right? Grace always refers to that which Hashem graces us with In other words, Hashem Hashem gives it to us With a gracious heart he gives it to us even though we don't deserve it. It was this undeserved grace that made the miracle of the oil particularly special in the times of Hanukkah. Make no mistake, anyone who is familiar with the dynasty of the Hashemunayim knows that the Bnei Israel were less than worthy. But Hashem was always there looking to grant them favor in a dark time when it was just most needed. And that was all something that we spoke about Hanukkah time. And many point out, by the way, that it was specifically in the long and dark winter season that we truly need the encouragement of those Hanukkah lights to remind us that even when our current situation seems God-forsaken, that's never the case. Hashem is always there beside us, and he's bestowing that, that, that graciousness upon us, even there. During the winter, of course, this encouragement is provided by Hanukkah. But that only explains Hanukkah. Right, come, Behaloscha. We are far from the long, dark winter nights, as we're standing at the cusp of summer, and my son Yona Yakir is well aware. So the question then is, why then do we reference the Menorah when 'tis not the season? And please forgive me for that. So again, we're repeating the Chanukah, the Chanukah Haftarah story, at least. So why, why is that coming up again here in Behaloscha? Where the message seems completely irrelevant. So in order to answer our questions, I think we have to consider another important question which we have not discussed yet, and that is why Baha'aluscha talks about the menorah in the first place. We already argued that the menorah does not seem like a major discussion in the parsha, but we haven't really defended its placement in our parsha at all. Right? Perhaps we could argue further that it doesn't belong here. For a Sidra, again, which covers so many stirring topics, where does the menorah fit in? And the Midrash picks up on this fact, that the menorah seems random, and it explains that the command for the menorah is juxtaposed to the offerings of the Nisim, of, of each shava, which appears at the end of last week's Barsha, Parshas Noso. And in this Midrash, Chazal explain, and they suggest, that Aram was disheartened, he was upset that he was given, uh, he, was, he was upset by not being given the opportunity to offer Karbanos when the Nesim were, he couldn't participate in the inauguration of the Mizbeach. And because of this, Hashem appeases him with the commands to light the menorah. The problem, though, is that although this is an answer to explain the juxtaposition, it doesn't really explain why this had to be the beginning of the new Parsha. Why does this passage of the menorah, of the Ha'aloscha, become itself a new Parsha? why couldn't it be left in naso was parshas naso just too long already you know it's only 4 more psukim so instead of being 176 psukim the longest parsha in the torah it could have been 180 psukim still the longest parsha in the torah big deal why you know if, if the connection is to the neasim so end parshas naso with the menorah and then start a new parsha from whatever comes next. In our case, it's uh, the, well, the next few topics are the separation of the levian and Pesach Sheni. A lot of great other starting points could have been available. So the real question is if there is perhaps something more fundamental that connects the menorah, not to the past, to Parshas Naso, but to what's going to follow as well in the rest of Baha'u And perhaps the answer to that question is yes, there is something more. The menorah, lit by and the Kohen Gadol himself, is perhaps the reminder of Hashem's never-ending search for merit in the Bnei Yisrael, even in the darkest places where it seems like it cannot be found. It is, as we've explained, a sign of hope. And the Haftarah teaches us that the lesson of the menorah is not merely one for the physical winter, but perhaps it is for gullus in all of its forms. And if one looks at our Sidra, Baha'u is the beginning, maybe not of a long, cold winter, but of a hot, exhausting gullus, a hot, exhausting summer in the desert. But this exile was of a unique kind, because there was no shortage of physical light and warmth in that sunlit wilderness However, at the same time, there was by no means a lack of darkness of exile, at least the way the nation perceived it. Right? In truth, not only, not only was there, in fact, physical light, but situationally speaking, the B'nai Israel were on their way. The B'nai Israel were well on their way to the Promised Land with Hashem at their side, feeding them, sheltering them, but somehow they got caught up in their own folly, complaining against nothing, at least nothing substantial. Moshe, of course, gets overwhelmed, and even Miriam steps out of line. And Midbar, as we've explained many times in the past, describes a series of unfortunate events. But the irony is that it was all unfolding in a time where everything should have been fine. They were not under attack, and they were not being, uh, you know, they, 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 they were not being, um, sorry, or the, they, they weren't being threatened in any which way. They were being taken care of, and all the while, they were on their way towards Gula, like that was the direction they were headed in. But apparently, Gullahs can seep into the good times too, oddly when things are working out. And it got us to even turn ourselves about and go in the opposite direction. It was even more terrifying and seemingly inescapable gullas of our own minds, where we perceive life as though everything is going wrong, when perhaps nearly everything is actually going perfectly. And what emerges is that we can forget in the times of should-be light that Hashem is there. Right, so Chanukah is a time for darkness, but maybe in a certain sense, we kind of need a little bit of a flavor of a Chanukah sheni. Right? We know that, of course, um, the Parsha is a Parsha of Pesach Sheni, which we find in Baha'a and Pesach Sheni is a time to reinvigorate our understanding of our faith in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, just like Hashem gave us Pesach one time, so if you missed the Karban, if you missed the messages, you have another day to to reflect on it, and perhaps for that reason, we needed a repeat for Hanukkah as well. Maybe in a certain sense, Hanukkah also um, reinforces those themes. And maybe we need a Hanukkah in June. Thus, it seems that this Hanukkah reminder might be a little bit in order, not just in the winter, but in the spring, summer, and fall as well. Each season comes with its challenges. Some of those challenges come with objective darkness, whether it's illness or other such tragedies, which we just can't avoid. There are enough of those in the world, and even then we are told to realize through the menorah that God is there. Thus, for example, on Hanukkah, when such an exile existed with no merit to speak on our behalf, Hashem somehow declared us innocent and let us off with a warning. But when there is light surrounding us, when uh, for some reason, despite the fact that we have that light, we're trapped in our own misconceptions of the world around us, allowing ourselves to complain about darkness, when we are standing under the sun, that's a goddess of our own creation. And the question is then, who is able to help us? And I believe that the menorah is the reminder that Hashem is there and that he's looking not to weasel us, not to, you know, not, not, not to catch us off guard. But Hashem as well, even in those situations, is always looking to grace us. He's looking to give us that undeserved mercy and compassion and chesed, that kindness for us. That's part, um, you know, that, that, that's Hashem's part. And that's, that's more than reasonable. And that's a, the, for us, that's a bargain. Now, our Haftar at this juncture perhaps teaches us that we have to stop complaining, but rather acknowledge this Chanukah miracle once again, and to pay attention to Hashem's presence even in the summertime. It reinforces the message of Chanukah seasons later, teaching us not to forget that Hashem is there. So we should be not only to have Hashem's grace in all the, our circumstances and seasons, whether it's light or dark, but to truly appreciate that grace, and Hashem should continue to reveal His graciousness to us and of course, lead us through the desert of exile once and for all with the coming of the Gaula and Mashiachum Have an absolutely wonderful Shabbos. And remember that if you enjoy Shirim like this and others in the podcast, you want to partner up with us with the sponsorship. Or if you have questions, comments, concerns, recommendations, or you want to join the database podcast WhatsApp group where you'll find links for every uploaded Shear or links to Shirim that I reposted to their relevance, then all you have to do is reach out to me out at the at gmail.com. That's the data base, B-E-I-S at gmail.com. Until next time, again, have an absolutely wonderful Shabbos and thank you for joining us here at the Database.